1: Your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a trio of feathery brethren, weathering any season to see the eagles in the teams like Scrammy's top with cheese It's Philadelphia, Bo, Sheila, and Zach, kicking it cooler than three penguins. Till Zach runs off with his valet key, he's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some. Birds with f- Friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers
0: getting turned like a turn on some. Birds f- with Friends. Bo, Sheila, and Zach coming at you with
2: steps. Things flapping their wings, statistics, on. You know, they can be like bathing suits. What they, you know, what... <laughs> finish it up.
1: Sometimes you gotta take what them they, off. What
2: the hell? Uh, what, what they show is is revealing, but what they conceal is vital, right? So,
1: <laughs> hello, everybody, and welcome to Birds with Friends on a Wednesday evening. Bo Wolf, Sheila Kapadia, Zach Burn here. To talk about the big news in the Eagles' world. So uh, those of us who listened to the last episode found out that uh, Sheil loves the challenge, and so Sheil, I want to know, what did you make? I mean, we're we're heading into the final here. Did you think that? Did you think that Leroy should have thrown himself in? So that he could keep the same partner, and instead of letting Fessy get that opportunity, you're
3: so predictable. I mean, really, everybody listening—they were expecting that. Of course, we will be talking about
1: the yeah, story. But they didn't know wrote. which one it was going to be. You know, the story we wrote. Cruise for thing. Who knows.
3: The Athletic. We have been waiting to talk about this. We wanted to let the story breathe a little bit. The deep dive we did on the organizational dynamics of your favorite football team, presumably, uh, if you are listening. I think we've all done, you know, some some different media, you know, flex, uh, some radio hits and mm, podcasts, you're and stuff down. like that. But we haven't uh, gotten together as a group and done a deep dive on this. And so I have a lot of things I want to say. I'm sure you guys have a lot of things you want to say. I do have some nonsense that I'll mix in uh, later, a couple of notes here that sort of crossed my mind. But uh, I do feel like, you know, we need to give some explanations, some analysis, some context uh, for the story we wrote. Now, if you haven't read the story and you think, oh, I don't need to subscribe because they're just going to talk about it on Birds with Friends, you're going to be completely lost. I'll just tell you that right now. because We're not <laughs> reading like the entire 4,000 word story here for you so pause go ahead subscribe you can use the slash birds with friends you can go you can read it uh if you don't subscribe for this uh i'm really gonna like berate you um you know during uh during future episodes so hopefully you've all read it and uh we can get into it I- i'm excited to talk about this for once zach i'm stealing your thunder i'm actually zach, how are you? for a podcast
2: i'm i'm doing great excited for this pod been looking forward to it
1: let's <laughs> about, let's start with uh zach how was your? How has your sleep schedule been the last? Right, let's say, let's say the last week.
2: It if has were... not. It 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 has not been like the banner of good health. But um, <laughs> okay. that is that's that's to be expected when uh, you're working diligently, like you guys were, to make sure that that you have everything right. So uh, that that's essentially what it's been. And then during these past few days. Um, there's, there's been catching up on other assignments, you know, right. Mm. We, we, we have, we have the draft. Yeah. We have the draft in two weeks. So uh, that, that the, the work hasn't stopped.
1: Okay, well, you know we've got we've got a lot of ways to attack this, but it sounds like Shiel has like some things that he can get off his chest. So I, I will I will cede the floor to you. Where do you want to begin?
3: I wouldn't say get things get off my chest. I mean I think it's hard to just do. Hey, what's your big takeaway with this? Because there are oh sure yeah you know, several characters in it. Uh, if you want to term them that way, there are different sections to the story. So like. I I mean, I have a list to to go through of things I just wanted to explain for my end, but we don't necessarily have to do it that way. You know, Bo, you were going to host you, you know, you texted us like two hours before
1: saying, you know, what do we want to talk about? I mean, we all spent like months on this story. It's not like you needed prep for like talking about the story that we spent so long on.
3: Okay, well, let's start here because I I do think, you know, people, uh, some people were wondering and listen, if some of this gets too deep into like the process of the writers it's not because we are uh self-important or want to be you know these uh or want to like act like we did something special but people have asked about like you know how did you go about doing x y and z uh for this story so basically i'll just start with kind of the Idea behind it. And I think, you know, it was a couple months ago. Uh, I don't, I think it was before the Carson Wentz trade where we said, hey, you know, maybe we should do some kind of uh, deep dive where we just sort of asked the question, what happened to this football team? We were all at US Bank Stadium when they win the Super Bowl, the 2017 season. That was three years ago, which doesn't seem like that long of a time. Although in the NFL, it can be a very long time. And now since then, the quarterback's gone. The head coach is gone. A lot of people in the building are gone. And who's left is Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. So we all talk to different people. You know, we, we have different relationships. And so we said, let's all just kind of start with that question and we'll ask what happened. Why did it turn out this way? And that's really all we went into it trying to find out, you know, it could have gone in a million different directions yeah. and we'll get to some of those where uh, it didn't get it, go into those directions, but that's all we did. Uh, we made some calls and texts and, you know, some people we didn't know. Uh, we reached out to them also just kind of, you know, started a list of who are all the people who might be have an opinion on this or who might be able to help us with this. And uh, we went from there. And so the themes you see reflected in the story, that's what was coming back to us as we did all this reporting. And I I know we wrote in the story that this is, you know, current staffers, former staffers, different departments. So I guess that is, you know, one big thing that I'll just sort of debunk now. Like this wasn't like, you know, two former employees with an ax to grind just going off. I mean, I don't know if we can edit this out if you guys are uh, uncomfortable with it, but we're talking about like nearly, I think the final count was probably around 30 people, that we talked to. And so
1: um, I think that's finally been. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We didn't just go, you know, it, it, when someone said something, we cross checked it or we said, hey, did you know, I wonder what someone else thinks about this or, um, you know, does this person have an ulterior motive? And so we were diligent uh, with all those things uh,
1: the best we could be. And so there's that- nothing in the story that was not corroborated by multiple sources other than direct quotes. Everything there, you know, came from at least, at least multiple uh, people.
3: Yeah, so that I guess that that was kind of my my big thing, just on sort of the um, the beginning uh, of the idea and uh, how it turned into the final product.
1: All right, a little little change of venue here in the uh, in the Wolf House uh, for for better Wi Fi, but but you know I think what you said is is right, Sheila. I mean, uh, you know. Zach is like the the paragon of uh, of ethics, as anybody who uh, who watches the show knows. So, you know, there's no there's no funny business going on here. And also, like, you know, I I get I get the point from like people who aren't familiar with us, but give us a little bit of credit. Like we can tell when somebody is is uh, coming to you with like a a real agenda. And, you know, we're not going to just we're not just going to put our names on that. Um, I think we I think we took care with the information that, that we had.
2: Yeah, I I don't think like you should be deferential to me whatsoever. You guys were – I was riding your coattails.
1: Well, there's only one of the three of us who's a process. sports writer of the year, so that's true. Yeah, that is
3: true. <laughs> okay.
2: But no, I was I was riding your guys' coattails throughout this process. You guys were outstanding. Well,
3: no, I don't think I, Wait, I think this, need to get into this was a yeah, team yeah. effort. Let us get into Let's get into the juice, shall we? You know, I I've just got the story pulled up on my iPad. I mean, I don't know. Are there? Uh, I say, you know, I kind of. You, you can see sort of the some of the big things that came out of it. I say we just go through some of them. You know, is, does that work for you guys? Do you want to do it some other What's way, Bo?
1: Uh, no. Well, Anything big?
3: Big things to say?
1: Well, you know what? Let's. Why, why don't we start with like the things up top that we've all been asked okay. about as we've done mm-hmm. our our rounds of media. The things that are like the, the things that jump out to people. And I think the first of those things is you know Jeffrey Lurie's involvement. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of stuff in the story about Jeffrey's influence growing, um, his influence on the draft, how involved he is in that. And, uh, you know, I guess the question that I have been asked a lot is, you know, how how troubling is it that Jeffrey is this involved for the future of the franchise? What do you guys think about that?
3: Well, I. I don't think, I don't think it really is. You know, I was surprised. Well, I don't know if I should say surprised. I knew that would be a takeaway, but I, that was not one of my major takeaways. I think Jeffrey Lurie uh, is a very good owner and he is involved. He always has been involved. We can talk about the different ways in which his involvement has grown, but I do think he's motivated by winning. I I think that's his number one priority. I think financially, I mean, look at what he's poured into the franchise. Look at the hits he's willing to take, like with the Carson Wentz uh, dead cap hit. And I don't think he, uh, you know, he's not a confrontational person. And so when he's giving his ideas, his influence, his advice, uh, his thoughts, his suggestions, his preferences, those things, that's been happening for a long time. Now, again, it has been happening more, but in my opinion, that is not like the biggest problem with this franchise. I think there needs to be a structure in place where someone can say, We got it, Jeffrey. Uh, We understand, you know, let's say uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, you like him more than Paris Campbell. If you were making the pick, uh, that would be your pick. Uh, But there needs to be someone to say, if this were the case, but here's why we're going in the other direction. And, and I do think Lurie would respect that. Now, having said that, those are tricky dynamics, right? If you're working with your boss and your boss wants a certain thing and you want to go in a different direction, well, you do have to be able to explain that. And that's where the trust comes in. And that's where the structure of the organization comes in. And that's where these different silos that you have uh, within the entire organization come in. And so uh, I don't think the issue uh, is, is necessarily just Jeffrey Lurie's involvement. I think it's sort of the way that his influence is viewed the way others take that information that he gives them and sort of uh, streamlines it into a final decision.
2: Yeah. I think with that's, I couldn't agree more because I understand the, the public um, like persona or the stereotype, whichever phrase you would want to use for an owner of a football team but Jeffrey Lurie has like been in the NFL for nearly 30 years. I, I mean, there are scouts who are like 27 years old who, you know, that's how long Jeffrey Lurie has, has been in this, you know,
1: even if he doesn't in the, have in the final in the, decision-making process, I think that experience, exactly. Matt, like, if you yeah. think that he is a smart guy, that experience means exactly. something.
2: So, so I, I don't think it's bad. And I also don't think, you know, like, uh, people we've spoken to have pointed this out that they respect that like Jeffrey's putting in work on this. It's you know, you, you heard that anecdote um I, or the characterization that Jay Gruden had about uh Daniel Snyder, that he, that he came off the yacht and, 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 and told him to pick Dwayne Haskins, right? Like that's, that's not uh, the way Jeffrey Lurie operates. Like he's involved in the process leading up to the draft. I think more of the concern is if there's ambiguity about how those decisions are made, that if there are certain players who are like, this is Jeffrey Lurie's player, and it's, it's inconsistent with the information that has come up in meetings throughout uh, the process. So I think it's more of the process that stood out to me than the people that stood out to me.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think, I think we all agree about that. And maybe, maybe we should just sort of go through the story, but I I do think that the, you know, the overall takeaway for like the 30,000 foot view of what is, you know, what is wrong with the front office at the moment, what ails them, what can be, what needs to be fixed. It's that transparency, that lack of transparency and uh, you know, the fact that, or the perception at least within the building that uh, everybody is a little bit too siloed, you know, the scouting department, doesn't trust the analytics department, but not necessarily because of any fault of anybody other than the fact that they just don't know what kind of influence they have. And so uh, when you have this process where you know, Howie Roseman or whoever's making the final decision is not explaining how those decisions get made and there is not insight from the people below into how those decisions are made, then the only result from that is sort of speculation as to how those decisions get made. So you think, oh, well, if the board says one thing and we're taking another player, well, then it must be Jeffrey Lurie's call, or or it must be the influence of the analytics department, and uh, the fact that there is not this, um, you know, same page. If if everybody is not on the same page, then then nobody's on the same page, right? Oh,
2: and, and- yeah. Although something that that did come up in our reporting is that Jeffrey might have been like particularly emboldened by the Super Bowl, right? That that the fact that um, and. Frankly, it's not just Jeffrey. There's there's a lot of people in that organization who, when they won the Super Bowl, you know, thought they were a big reason for it, right? And and, and so, uh, what if if we're focusing on specifically what's happening during the past few years, then I I don't think that is irrelevant to discuss.
1: Yeah, and I think that's you know in some ways that's a tale as old as time for uh, not just sports franchises but anybody you know the the quote unquote disease of more but. Uh, it certainly sounds like the dynamic after the Super Bowl. Um, you know, Doug Peterson probably thought that he was going to get you know a little bit more leeway. They were going to be off, off his back a little bit. He knew how questioned he was heading into 2017. He goes and wins the Super Bowl, and yet he still has all these um, you know sort of meddling meetings and and other stuff. He doesn't get the the respect that he probably thought he deserved. And I think Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie looked at what happened in 2017, and instead of sort of appreciating how lucky uh, they got and, you know, hitting lightning in a bottle they sort of thought that they had found something that nobody else had found, you know, exactly. instead of like, yep. you know, it's like, it's like you hit on 17 or something like that. And you think you've cracked the code when really you should just be thankful that, you know, the, the cards fell your way. You um, should never hit on like, 17, so yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree, but oh, wait, maybe, <laughs> maybe the dealer is showing, uh, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I feel like Thank you for that's... not extending
3: that. Yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> okay.
1: I like to live dangerously. Go ahead. Cheryl.
3: Well, uh, I was going to say, you know, one of my big takeaways here, and I, and I know I just said it's hard to have big takeaways, but it's from you can't really discuss Jeffrey Lurie without Howie Roseman at this right. point. And so so many of the big points of this story, you know, Zach, I feel like has um, pounded this drum. Is that right? Bang okay, mm, yeah, the strum? Okay. table. You pound a table and you bang a drum? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Zach has been banging the strums really since we started this podcast, right? When Howie Roseman's name is brought up and it's in reference to, all right, why'd they pl- pick player X instead of player Y or look at his draft record, Zach has accurately and correctly pointed out that that is not how Jeffrey Lurie views Howie Roseman's position. This is not just a uh, quote unquote uh, player picker or a, you know, a a person, just a personnel personnel. There are GM jobs in the NFL that that's, that's what they do. That person's out there scouting. And this is your number one job. Pick the players, assemble the roster. We have other people to figure everything else out. Well, Jeffrey Lurie has been very clear and you can go back and you can, you know, we were reading his old uh, press conference transcripts during this process. He's been very clear. About Howie Roseman's role. And that role is as collaborator slash CEO Mm -hmm. of the the company of the Philadelphia Eagles. And so that means uh, scouting staff, personnel, uh, coaching staff, Jeffrey Lurie's influence, uh, analytics, uh, medical, medical, training, sports science, all these different things. It stops with Howie Roseman. He is in charge of assembling those groups, taking all the information, putting it all together and being the final decision maker. And so just as I go through this story and, you know, listen to people's reactions or see people's reactions to it, to me, so much of this just comes down to relationships and exactly, Trump. and 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 exactly. I hate and I and I don't mean to be like uh, dramatic about this, but you know, just going through some of the things. So, for example, you know, we lead the story with this this anecdote about Doug Peterson having these meetings on Tuesday with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, both in season and out of season. And so, you know, we we led with the anecdote that even after a win over the Green Bay Packers, where they score thirty four points, he's being Questioned about, well, you know, why didn't you pass the ball more? And so, to add context to that, coaches have to report to their owners. That's not, uh, you know, uncommon. Um, not all owners have these weekly meetings with their coaches where they're going after over the specific game and the decisions and those things, but they do have meetings with their uh, owners. However, the fact that Doug Peterson, throughout reporting, felt deflated by this or second guessed by this. That's why it's noteworthy. And so to me, like that, this is one anecdote, but think about If Howie Roseman had a great relationship with Doug Peterson and he was doing his job in the way that Jeffrey Lurie expected him to do after the, a meeting like that, he could go into Doug Peterson's office and he could say, Doug, you know, are you good? I, you know, it was an awesome win. You guys did a heck of a job, you know, sorry. The questioning might've got out of hand there. Um, No big deal, but man, we're pumped about uh, that win and the way the season's going. If you ever need anything, you know, come get me. I'm not saying he didn't do that. Okay. He might've done that in that specific instance, but week after week and, you know, uh, meetings and being questioned. Someone made the point that head coaches are going to feel second-guessed Regardless of what you ask them during the grind of a season, like you can ask them anything, and they're gonna think you're pointing out something that they screwed up. And so, to me, and we'll get some more examples of this, but that's one example where that role. And if it's not gonna be Howie Roseman going, it is gonna be Howie Roseman going forward right now. So either it's he has to do a better job with that kind of thing, or there's got to be someone else in that role to make sure all the different factions of the company of the organization uh, feel the way they're supposed to feel, because that's not a terrible process like it's fine for the owner to meet with the coach and ask some questions and Jeffrey Lurie was not berating Doug Peterson in those meetings anyone who's heard Jeffrey Lurie talk or had interactions with him that is not his uh, leadership style that is not his personality and so you know I can tell you right now that he wasn't in there you know throwing papers all around going Doug what what do you what are you doing there with the play calling he wasn't doing that however Doug Felt a certain way about it, and that story got spread, and so that's why it's noteworthy.
1: Right? It could have been. It could have been a very innocent question. Like you know, I thought that coming into this game, the game plan was to pass the ball. Why is it that we ran the ball so much? And I'm sure that you know, as we as we link to your piece uh, on that game specifically, you know, the Eagles were in 12 personnel, the Packers were staying in nickel and dime. So of course, you're going to keep running the ball. I'm sure there's easy answers, but it could have been a very innocent question. But the fact that we heard about it tells mm-hmm. you that it was taken a certain way. A lot way by of Doug people Peterson. brought that
3: game up. I a mean, lot that, of people brought it up in the,
1: in the Buffalo game that happened four mm-hmm. weeks later in, in like 30 mile an hour wins. So these are things that, you no know, matter how they were asked, they were perceived by, by Peterson, at least according to people, uh, you know, who, who understood that, you know, he was a little bit beaten down by this and, and, and of course, you understand that, like you know, the guy won a Super Bowl two years ago. I just won the game, like this huge win in Lambeau Field to save our season at this early stage. Like, can't we just can't we just be happy with the win? I get, I get it. I yeah, get for both and, sides. Like, so much of this stuff, I think, makes sense for both sides. But go they, ahead. Zach.
2: Yeah, there are so many conversations. I mean, not just in football, but I'm, I'm sure we have it in everyday life, where like the the intent of one person and the interpretation of another person are 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 different that being said, it doesn't like uh, absolve the f- If, if the, what you want is to empower the people who work for you. Right. And so if, or, or perhaps they don't want that, but uh, in, in theory, your head coach should feel empowered. He should feel that um, he's empowered on game days. He's empowered in putting his coaching staff together. He's empowered in how he's running his team and uh, the interpretation Is probably colored by the fact that you know it's probably colored by the context that came with everything else, right? Like it's uh, my understanding is 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 this wasn't isolated to game day. This carried the context of everything that went into the relationship from between the you know uh, the coach and 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 those who answered to I,
3: I mean it really you know anyone can relate to this like think of your friends or your co-workers all right this is going to sound very self-important but you know please somebody rip me for this because i hate when i if if i were listening to myself say this i would be ripping the host but throughout the course of uh, our process in writing this article right if I didn't, if I thought one of you, you know, wrote something and I didn't, I thought, all right, we should change something about that. Like I didn't have to walk on eggshells or tiptoe exactly. around it. If we had a conversation that right. would go, uh, Bo, I hear what, you know, I see what you're saying here, but I don't think that's getting, you know, the right message across. You didn't. I mean, maybe you did, uh, but I don't think you went. And then you know, told your wife, "God, Shields being a jerk about this." I was he, texting you know, Zach
1: on the side. Yeah,
3: he's 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 hurting my feelings about this, and God, I can't get any work done because of that. Because like we know what our eventual goal was was to be accurate and produce exactly. a, an insightful, accurate story. But like it's with your friends too, right? Like the closer. A friend you have, the more of a jerk you can be to that person, right? Like if, if someone's doing something ridiculous, I don't even know, like wearing a, a dumb shirt or something. If that's your best friend, you can be like, what are you doing? You're, 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 mm-hmm. you're not going out with that. If it's someone who, you know, you, you're kind of like an acquaintance with, but like you're not that close, then you would probably just like let it slide. And I don't know if any of these comparisons make, if these analogies make sense at all, but like that is part of it. I mean, think about it. If there was a, if there was a trust there then and, and Howie's the intermediary. Then Doug could just say, uh, Howie, listen, I know we got to do these meetings, but I mean, come on, man. I, I know you guys didn't mean anything by it, but that's just like deflating. You know, I'm working these 16-hour days. We just went on the road to Lambeau Field and won a game. We're getting our season on track again. I know you don't mean anything by it, but like we have to do something about that to come up with a better process. But that didn't happen. It just continued, and you know, the everyone kind of voiced their opinion to the people they were close with or whatever. They festered. We heard about him and it ends up being you know this disaster um a couple years down the road and well, i should and also I think, point out
2: too that 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 doug doesn't have like a a confrontation right. personality either right so so doug's not the type of coach i imagine who is is going to really be pushing back in these meetings or like is 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 going to be standing you know so i think that personality must be understood as well
1: and I think I would say to add to what you said, Shil, like you know, one of my takeaways is that you know we've talked about how like football organizations, uh, you, you mentioned self-important, but that is certainly the case with with football organizations. Like all of the mystery, the you know the cloak and dagger stuff. To you know, like we've got some secret sauce. Like so much of this story is just like boilerplate management one-on-one stuff, mm-hmm. and like the the kinds of dynamics that take place in any workplace. Where like if I'm spending my time on something, like if I'm spending all my time on something and then I don't even get to see what role what I did plays into the final product, like, of course, yep. I'm going to be upset. Exactly. Right. So so I think I think a lot of this stuff is sort of uh, universal
2: and just like every workplace. Right. Like uh, well, I shouldn't say every workplace, just like a lot of workplaces, management will view things through their lens. Uh, right. The employees view things through through their lens, and and it's it's hard for one side to, to see it the way the other side does.
3: Well, I think that's a good uh, segue. To the analytics section which is as i'm scrolling here uh on my ipad i mean i think anybody who listens to sorry bo you got something no Go i was
1: gonna well i was just gonna say like a like you if, if we're gonna extend the self-important metaphor to uh the story of this process being like uh, the eagles you know just like the eagles there are a few things we'd like to have back yeah i'd say a couple you know Go we ahead. can talk there's two main things but one of them there's a sentence in here i would really like to have back because it has been sort of picked up the uh the alec Hallaby like buddies with Julian Lurie thing. And I think it reads like they're like old friends going back to their Harvard days. And that is, that is not the case. It should be, it should be that uh, like, over the course of time, they have become friendly. I mean, hallaby has been working for the team for, for 10 years. Right. And Julian Lurie was like in high school when he first started. So I yes, yeah. uh, just want to, that's, right. that's the thing that like, I've heard on the radio, like I agree, Jeffrey yeah. Lurie hired his butt, his son's buddy. And that Correct. is, that, you know, that is not the case. Yes. That's he not fair he was
3: qualified. Yeah. He was qualified for the job. He's been uh, in the organization for a long time. That's how go ahead.
2: And we, and we should say like, we, you know, we didn't write it that way, but also, this is the type of thing where we know Alex we're age, a little too close right? to it. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, we know Julian's age. Um, the reader probably doesn't. So the, the reader uh, sees like two Harvard guys, and think
1: you know they right. were
2: at Harvard together, but yeah, that that was not the case. There's. I mean, we case labored case. over.
1: I don't. This is. I don't even want to. say Every it, sentence. Sound, but, yeah, we did, yeah, and that yeah. I, I feel bad about that one. Should a, we should have done job. a
3: better job with that one. There's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, that's Alec Hallaby for those of you who need a reminder, the Eagles' vice president of football operations and strategy. You know, uh, the the analytics angle was pretty interesting for our reporting for this uh, for this story. I mean, I think anybody who has read our our work or listen to the podcast, I I would say most know that we're pretty pro uh, analytics. We try to talk about them. We try to put numbers into context. We try to use them for analysis. And so again, this is a situation where like, you know, I, I know there will be some out there who, you know, uh, as Bo would phrase it, concussion uncles out there who will say that oh should, we had a
1: good we had a good time on the Seth Joiner show last night.
3: That was dude, that was awesome. Like that was great. I, I was saying, my nine-year-old self. If you would have told my nine-year-old self, Shield, uh, you know, in like uh, well, how, uh in like twenty uh, nine years, you will be, you know, Seth Joyner is going to be asking you questions about the Philadelphia Eagles. I would be like, oh my gosh, I have the greatest life in the world. This is amazing, and I do have a great and life. a little. But, and a couple of questions about the titans <laughs> correct, correct but uh, no that that was really fun to uh to as seth said chop it up chop it up with uh seth, right. seth joyner but you know just there four were...
2: football guys talking football
3: talking <laughs> yeah, four that's, Stone yeah, that's football right guys you know? talking
1: ball loving ball
3: get get a lift in maybe <laughs> uh, before you know and then uh and then just talk some ball that, that's
1: what i like to do um I have no idea. Well, yeah, you're, you're talking no, about, like, like, you know, listen, like the three of us right, are, yeah, yeah, this, like we're coming from this story, like yes. of the perspective of analytics deserve this place in the game. And if not the place they have even more so. And I think, you know, part of the, what we learned from this reporting is, is, you know, I think you, you talk to people who work in analytics in any sport and it's not just having the right ideas it's being able to get those ideas into the hands of the people who can implement them Mm -hmm. and them accepting that. Right. And that is the real challenge, not necessarily finding the information. And those are relationship things. And, and in this case, you know, those relationships were, were clouded. And, and, and some of these things are, you know, like as, as somebody put it, Halaby is in, in sort of a no win situation, like the dynamics here of, Hallaby has been working for the team for 10 years alongside Howie Roseman. So when a new coaching staff comes in or, you know, new scouts come in, they're going to look at him like he's, you know, tied to the hip with Roseman. They're going to be a little bit skeptical, but there are ways. And this goes back to what she was talking about before. There are ways for Howie Roseman as the, you know, the CEO de facto of the organization to smooth those things over and say, listen, you know, he's just here to help you out. We're not telling you what to do We're you know, we want to help you how we can. But that was a real dynamic that came up with everybody we talked to across departments that mm-hmm. uh, this was a real sort of um, sort of thaw in the organization over the past few years.
3: Yeah, this is this is, uh, you know, so the big idea, obviously, we are pro analytics, analytics can help you win games, they can help you make better decisions, whether it's personnel in game or whatever. And this is an issue across professional sports is that, you know, this goes back to moneyball, really the friction between the old school, whether it's traditional scouts and coaches, and the analytics department. So uh, listen, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to Howie Roseman but come on this is a predictable issue when when you have an owner who wants to really uh, be uh, at the forefront of analytics and you have a staff in house with analytics and you have a coaching staff who is almost always in the NFL going to be a little bit more old school you can't, like it's not just like that relationship's going to work great like there the the in more cases than not, there's going to be friction there. Okay. And so there needs to be someone to manage that. There needs to be someone who can go up to Doug and say, Doug, uh, you know, uh analytics is here to help, not to get in your way, not to make things cloudy for you. You let me know how how can we make this relationship work better. Uh, there's gotta be someone that goes to the traditional scouting people in the personnel department and say, We've got we've got you. We've got you, we know what you like on film. You guys have talked to the people in the program. We see how your draft board is ranked. We just want kind of a, a bevy of information so that we're not mess, messing anything up. Let's all get in a room. Let's all talk about it. I mean, this wasn't happening. I mean, any way you slice it, th- this was not happening when you're moving the analytics office uh, out of the football side, that is telling you how bad, how much this relationship has soured when you have, um, you know, people talking about uh, the analytics and the, and their influence on draft decisions. And so, then what happens, and really with, with Alec Halby, our reporting said, is that whenever there was a decision that like someone in another department didn't like, they almost always just thought, all right, that's an analytics department. That's an analytics decision. Mm-hmm. Um, analytics has the ear of Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. And, of course, that's going to build tension. I mean, in every NFL building, there are disagreements on which players you pick. And a lot of time it's coaching and scouting. It could be analytics. But this is – like to another level and what you guys touched on earlier there's no transparency with it there's no explanation at the end there's no hey here's our final draft board here's how it changed from what we you guys had here's how it changed from what you guys had we put all the information together and ultimately I've got to make the final decision I being Howie Roseman and so that stuff is really lacking and it just the tension built up and built up and built up and like I don't know that this was specifically in the story but the sense that I got after our reporting is that it was such a it's such a competitive environment there that everyone is fighting for the attention of the decision makers. And when they don't get it, they're pointing fingers at the other departments. And that's really not how you can build a culture that is going to make great decisions. I mean, you need to feel like everybody's on the same page and all right, this decision didn't go the way I would have done it, but I understand why we did it. The players in the building, let's support them and let's move on to the next thing. That's not what was happening here. If you, you know, if you read everything in the story, you can tell that wasn't the culture in the building and hasn't been the culture in the building.
2: And to give some insight to our uh, listeners about, you know, the behind the scenes of our process, because I I know we've, we've gotten some, some questions about it. Uh, And, and she mentioned at the top, like we didn't start this story knowing where it was going to go. Right. We were in information gathering mode. And I think this is a, a, a great example of it. When we started the story, this wasn't even something that, that like, I think we thought was, was, was going to be a big part of it. I specifically remember talking to you guys when this kept coming up, uh, independently from people. And we, and we realized, wow, this is, you know, I mean, I mean, there's something here that we really need to explore and that's, that's how it turned out because it's, you know, I, I think that it would, if a team is not using all types of information, they can gather to win games then they're not doing their jobs, but it's all about the application of it. And that's why I, I, I don't want to uh, just just echo everything you guys are saying, but it comes into the interpersonal dynamics like like it's so it's and it's it can apply to so many different workplaces. But these departments need to get along with each other for it to work, you know, it's, 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 uh, the, the, the collaboration, you can't just discuss it. You need to apply it.
1: Yeah. I think that's well said. Um, and you know, there, there are some, there are some things in the story that get like a little Passover, um, that, you know, might be worth just talking about on uh, a little bit further. And one of those things is, you know, Andrew Barry comes in and the idea in the, in the building, he comes in just after the uh, office has been moved. And that he's going to be able to sort of uh, fix that relationship a little bit or or try to. And in practice, that's not really what he ended up doing. He ended up sort of just having his hand in in a little bit of everything. But it was funny because, you know, you talk about those things that were independent. like whoever we were talking to from like different departments out of nowhere, they'd be like, "Oh, and by the way, Andrew Barry, what a guy. like <laughs> just the just the best guy. Like, ok. like and we, so we joked that, like, uh the only person who came out looking good in this story, for some reason, was Andrew Barry.
3: Yeah, he he wasn't there long, and uh, the, it seemed like the damage maybe was that done. Was why? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was why. That that's true. If you go somewhere for, uh, for you, you just pulled a that Costanza.
1: Bit. Okay. Yep. Good, good,
3: good job. Uh, good, good dated reference there, uh, Bo, for our younger listeners. Yeah, I know. I feel like that's. <laughs> I'm just I couldn't it's have been. I, I might as well. I might
1: as well put on a Springsteen. Yeah, yeah t-shirt I was going to say my, you got a Springsteen yeah, take.
3: You want to uh, share? All I feel bad well, about
1: that. <laughs>
3: Okay, back to the Eagles. So, uh, good, good, uh, good transition, right there. Yeah, good, good, uh, good transition there. All right, we were talking about the um, analytics staff there. I'm looking at my notes here to see what else we've got. You know, there there was one question, um, like like, couldn't you write this about any NFL franchise? Doesn't this type of thing. Happen everywhere. And well, I, yeah, would... if
1: I was, a, you know, if I was a national reporter who had a relationship with a certain GM and I was asked about this story, I would probably say something like, well, you know, I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing, but this stuff happens everywhere.
3: Okay. So, uh, you know, it is true that there's just, you know, some level of dysfunction in every NFL building. But like, first of all, as we say in the Capadia uh, household, NMP not my problem i mean we you know we're writing story about the eagles so we're <laughs> right, going to you know yeah, listen yeah. if somebody wants to send us to uh, arizona for a couple months and you really want us to write this uh, you know write about the cardinals or something like we can make calls and try to figure that out but i also think there is a uniqueness to this in terms of the politics in the building in terms of the different um you know the the iciness or the friction between different departments in terms of a little bit of the paranoia in a turn, you know, in terms of just the structure of the organization, just on the surface, right? As we talked about the GM is in a different role here than he might be in another organization. So Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it's like the same degree everywhere. And this is really was sort of an unprecedented again, you're going from Super Bowl champs to quarterback gone, head coach gone, GM working with his fourth different head coach in a matter of, three years. Like that is not common. I mean, they took the biggest dead cap hit in NFL history to trade their franchise quarterback. So like, these aren't just uh oh, run of the mill, you know, off season problems. This is happening listen, to everybody. And okay. again, we, yeah, we, you know, we really don't care that much uh, about the, you now again, you know, flex, I'm a national reporter. So maybe I'll go mm. write this about uh, somebody else, but for the purpose of this story, we were trying to find out what was happening with the Eagles. Well, and also,
1: also, we talked to plenty of people who have worked in other buildings and yes. asked that question. And they said, like, it is different there. It is more political there than it is in anywhere else that I have worked.
2: It's it's also not really like a, a justification or a rationalization, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right. Like, well, like... well, like everyone does it. Well, that doesn't – I mean – if if it's an issue for you, right, it doesn't just because every GM is like doesn't.
1: checking people's phones, doesn't mean it's not it's it's still a cool thing to do.
2: Yeah, so no, so that yeah, I mean, a matter of fact, like you should be doing things better than I, I I mean you should be the ones who are like, Well, that organization over there, they don't know what they're doing, we know what we're doing, right? Like, so yeah. I I I don't think it's much of a defense to say well, this happens everywhere.
3: My lighting is so, you know, I just said I should have explained my lighting at the top. but I Mine's got the,
1: bad, too. This whole thing. I, is no, your lighting is
3: fine. I mean, your setup is, you well, know, I'm way because I can't light. see the yeah. top of your head. Uh, but it's well, because that- it's under a shelf. This is a shelf yeah. here. If I dip oh. it
1: back, you've got uh, the under, Ooh, you got the undercarriage like of a shelf.
3: <laughs> yeah, dude, it looks very yeah. interesting. Uh, but I'm working on a backup Bobo computer. You that's know, they- eight
1: the monkeys and little blue trucks springtime that are hanging over there
3: this computer was purchased at the start of a, a wonderful site called Burst 24-7, you know, in, in uh, mm. 2012, and it's still up and running. The computer that just broke down was purchased at the beginning of my athletic run in 2017, and Apple stores telling me to fix these um you, these terrible you new new school USB ports ooh, on the side. Ooh, the charging, it, yeah, the Thunderbolt ports, which, by the way, it's not like I got water in it. Like, I haven't been doing anything. One of
1: mine works. That's why my my Um, uh, earbuds are about to die here. I I might have to we have to we have to do something else about this recording. But go ahead.
3: Listen, it's a very first. I understand a very first world problem here, but they're telling me that like the ports are a little loose. They can send it away. Four hundred and seventy eight dollars plus tax. What? say I just got the computer four years ago. Come on, Apple. Listen, if we have anyone listening from Apple who can give me an explanation for that nonsense, uh, really? I mean, you know, I was telling my wife how uh, outraged I was, and she's like, "Oh yeah, your complaints will really uh, make a big change about how Apple uh, uh, operates." But uh, anyway,
1: anyway, uh, there's nothing. Well, show you reminded me. You remind Tim Cook a line one of, right of now. Of a right? very important like, question. <laughs> that I wanted to ask that I forgot that I wanted to ask. So thank you for reminding me. How much better would this story have been, Sheil, Mm. if instead of working with Zach and me, it was you and Tim McManus.
3: No, I I think we did a great job. I was looking back thinking, you know, uh, well, I guess I left before Chip Kelly's last year, but I do think, you know, if I had stayed and if Tim and I hadn't tried to write something like this, that probably would have been uh, been a regret. But mm. I, I thought I thought our collaboration was good. We had we had phone calls, you know, we were able to rip each other uh, when
1: necessary. Uh, At yeah. it, least it those phone calls, you know, mm-hmm. hearing that hearing that Zach got yeah. a spicy source or something yeah. like that.
3: Yeah. You can you can call Zach. Yeah, I'm sure he yeah. will take your calls, Marissa. You know, if Marissa <laughs> wants those phone calls, uh, that that's fine. Also, but no, it was a uh, it was a uh, wonderfully uh, collaborative piece, and uh, hopefully, people did enjoy it. Now, I know one of the criticisms um, that we we've heard or or people have asked is that all these anonymous sources, you know, oh it's all anonymous sources. No one on the record. I understand that. You know, that's fair. But When you read a story with anonymous sources, you're going to think, all right, you know, why do These people, they don't have to attach their name to it. They can say uh, whatever they want. And that's fair. You know, at the same time with a story like this, it's just like, you know, if you want fair, honest assessments, people are just not going to be comfortable attaching their name to it. So uh, I understand viewing it through that lens. That's fair. I, I will reiterate what I said earlier. We talked to a lot of people. This wasn't just one or two people. Uh, we, Whenever we got something, we made sure we confirmed it with, a, you know, everything in there is multiple sourced. Um, you know, and even at the end, coming down the home stretch, it was a matter of circling back. And, you know, yes, I, I was definitely. having conversations
1: with- There were things we would have liked to have in there that, that didn't make it in there because we weren't able to get it buttoned up as we would like. Uh,
3: now you're going full NBA up. But this yeah. is really- I, you know what? I this is, brand, here, this, right. this, is, this is terrible for our brain, this podcast. This used to be too like too much a of a people's whiff. pod, yeah, and like now this. this is just, oh, look at well, us. Well, let me say
1: something then to, to bring us down to earth, because I think there is a fair criticism uh, of the story that we were maybe a little bit too easy on Doug um, and the coaching staff. And I think that is fair. And, and I think yeah. part of that is like Doug's already been fired, so we were yeah. a little bit less interested in, in vetting that out. Like the state of the Eagles as they are right now, Doug's gone, and, you know, but but Howie and Jeffrey remain and some of these dynamics are still there and, and are something that they need to be worried about as this new co- coaching staff starts. But, you know, I mean, obviously, like we talked about it a million times, Doug is is definitely culpable for like the offense being as bad as it was the last couple of years. His relationship with Wentz deteriorated. All that stuff is true. We, we could have flushed it out a little bit more, but um, it's also, you know, it's sort of it's not as it's not as newsy.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, I, I do think we should have had more in there about how the coaching staff failed last year. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think the reasons you laid out are true. I mean, uh, they already sort of, you know, paid the consequence for doing a bad job and right. were fired. And so we were, sort of looking at it like, all right, who's left and what's the path going forward? I mean, that that was also part of the initial premise. And so that's why uh, there wasn't a whole rehashing of that. I mean, we did say, you know, obviously the relationship with Carson Wentz soured. We, we've talked for months about how the offense was not good and, you know, really only had one good year in five seasons with Doug Peterson, those things. And then I will say the other thing to be fair is that I thought, and correct me if you guys don't feel like this is an accurate reflection, but I thought throughout our reporting, people who felt like Doug didn't do a good job and deserved to be fired, it was less you know, a lot of them gave the caveat Doug was good to work Yeah. yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. We like Doug, but you know, uh he and Carson Wentz didn't get on the same page or you you like Press
1: Taylor too much. Something like that. Yeah. There
3: were things like that. Yeah. It wasn't like a personal Thing where um it wasn't relationship based which as we've said a lot of the things we wrote about were really relationship based
2: yeah i was i was i was just about to say that 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 doug's generally viewed as like an amenable uh and jeffrey in, and yes yeah but I, I
3: think those two really stood out in that respect where you can criticize them but people yeah jeffrey was it, said jeffrey those was like- things about them personally I
1: wish he wasn't so. I wish he wasn't quite so involved. But he's a great guy. Like I loved working for him. He's at every practice. He puts in the work. Like that was pretty much the the universal sense.
2: But but the thing with Doug is is like perhaps that personality trait also also contributed to some of his his weaknesses as a coach. And the reason I I say that is is because like you know Doug Doug as we can see in our reporting. And we knew this before, but it was verified. He's like very loyal to his staff, doesn't want to fire his staff members, right? Fault. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, like this, this came up repeatedly, basically every year except the Super Bowl year, um, you know, that, uh, and maybe a bit 2018, but, but like really 2016, 2019, 2020. Um, this, this was a, th- you know, and, 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 and Doug, is loyal in, in that regard. Uh, but maybe too much when you look at it from like a performance perspective. And the other thing is, is Doug's Doug's not like the, the bad guy in, in, you know, Doug, um, he's, he's not the, he's, he, he, he doesn't want to be the bad guy in the building. Um, and, uh, and perhaps that's reflective in some of these or in some of these relationships as well.
3: Yeah, uh, I think that uh, I think that's right. And that's certainly well said there. Um, you know, a few other things. I, I know people have just sort of asked us like, oh, you know, have you have you heard from the Eagles or, you know, are you guys going to be allowed back in the building? And, you know, all I'll say we we have in there, you know, they de- declined uh, comment, as did Doug. But also like there is a process you work with PR. And so, you know, you, we didn't just all of a sudden dropped this article on a uh, Monday and they had, you know, no knowledge of it. And so, you know, as you report a story, you work with a, a organization's uh, public relations team and try to have a, ba- a back and forth, which we certainly did. And so, um, no, it, it wasn't a case where like they woke up um, all of a sudden Monday morning and were sur- surprised that there was this article out there. Which
1: is just part of being, you know, part of being fair. Um, we're we're going to say these things. It's fair. It's fair to try to get their side.
3: Correct. Okay, what else I'm we got sound from you? Terrible this? or what? Yeah, you don't sound great. But uh, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Sorry, um, Bo is, is uh, thunderbolt. Thunderports. Yeah, really. I mean, Apple Geez, We're Tim. really ripping on Apple. Can Tim, I if you're listening, I mean, <laughs> r-
2: <really. laughs>
1: their, their stock price is gonna plummet. Zach, I'm think glad. of all
3: the money. Our th- <laughs> think of all the money our uh, four families have given you. Uh, over the years, I mean, really, you could at least make sure these these thunderbolts work to the point where four years later, I don't have to completely abandon this computer. I mean, four years. And I'm Come making on.
1: Marissa's life a living hell here.
3: For a MacBook Pro, it's got to last more than four years. Am I right?
1: I agree. Plus, I've had the I've already had to have my keyboard replaced.
3: Uh, my wife and mm-hmm. I always have these arguments about how long stuff should last. She'll be like, well. You've had it four years. Like four years, you know, how much a MacBook Pro costs? That's going to last more than four years with like everything in the house. She acts like every, you know, everything. Uh, well, you know, it's going to wear out eventually. And I say, no, you do a Kapadia wrong. We never forget. Remember that, Tim. All right. Okay. What else we got to get to here with this Eagle story? You're the one who had the list. Well, yeah, I only have a few things left. So I, if you guys have something, jump in. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the questions was uh, kind of going forward what now you know they're uh questions that, uh, all right, are they going to read this and, and say, wow, you know, we didn't totally know about all of this, or we didn't realize people felt this way about our culture and our uh, organization. Let's be self self-reflective. Let's make sure we act right. on some of this, or is it going to be more of a denial? Uh, those three bozos don't let, you know, don't let them get any quick questions in there. <laughs> I'm joking about that part, but you know, looking at it, like this is, uh, this is untrue. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't agree with,
2: uh, the assessments of these people, just
1: some people with an ax to grind. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, that would be, pro- yeah, I, I think that ahead. would be problematic. Right. I, I think that if, if the organization, and I say the organization, if, if Howie and Jeffrey and other characters in the organization, um, if they look at this, like what both said, this is people with an ax to grind, or this is just the media looking for something, or this happens everywhere. Um, I think they need to be, or, or who's talking, right? Like, you know, let's, let's find who's, who's, who's talking. I think that would be counterproductive for them. I think it, it, it this would be a good time for them to be reflective, to say like they're at a, a transition period, right? Um, this is clearly something that people felt like this, you know, if, if they disagree with the characterizations, they can't disagree with like that. This is a feeling that that pervaded the building and uh and 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 that's something that must be repaired and it's comparable to 2000 and 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 15 going into 2016 and that was something that they particularly focused on and it did improve and they won a super bowl two years later and you know it. There were it wasn't perfect during 2017, but I do think it has it has regressed since then behind the scenes. And that's something that they should be particularly mindful of. So I'm fascinated to see like I, I, I would love to see what the internal uh, reaction is over or the internal reflection here over the next few weeks and months.
3: Well, I mean, some of it would be so easy, right? Like, I don't know if a story like this uh, comes across. Nick Siriani's desk, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine he at least hears about it uh, secondhand if he doesn't read it himself, but it's out there. And so, you know, if you are kind of the leadership of this organization, don't you have to get everybody in the room? You know, Alec Hallaby, Nick Sirianni, uh, someone from personnel, whoever, you know, whether it's Andy Weidel or whoever else from personnel, get all these different departments together in a room and say like, you know, we've got to make sure we're better than this, uh, going forward. We've got to make sure we all know we're pulling together in the same direction. Let's make sure our culture is strong. If there's, um, if it's unclear about a final decision, you know, come to me, uh, me being Howie Roseman and ask me about it. Let's talk it out. I don't want there to be, you know, these, uh, these state secrets where there's just confusion around the building. Uh, Nick, Hey, uh, you know, analytics is going to be giving you stuff for, game planning that's supposed to help you that's not supposed to be um sort of an annoying thing that you have to do every week and act like you're interested in and it's not helping you we're not here to waste your time so let's make sure we get the same process there i mean these are the things that you would have to do that would make perfect sense here as you start a new era now i don't know if it's going to happen or not i don't know what direction they're going to go in i don't know if they're going to be reflective about this i don't know if they're going to say dude we you know you know. What are you doing there, Bo? I can hear myself, Bo. Okay, I can't now. All right, you're good. Oh boy, this is just—I uh, can't. We this should be nominated for a podcast award. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do all those things, or if they're going to say, "Dude, we won. Uh, you know, we made the playoffs three times in five years with Doug Peterson. We won a Super Bowl. We've got the top nine or whatever it is, seven winning percentage with Jeffrey Lurie as the owner. You know, they—they they should be writing these stories about the the teams that don't win anything. That's not us we're good. That very well could be, uh, their approach. And so I don't know, we'll just have to uh, wait and see, but this does seem like a natural time to kind of address some of the issues that they've had in the building.
1: All right. I'll get to some of the questions that were asked on the, on the review page. Let's see. We've got, uh, let's see here. Love the pod question post feature story. To what extent do you think based on your conversations, public opinion affects Lurie and his decisions? Any particular examples you came across? Also, out of one hundred turkeys, this is a totally unrelated question. Who's starting left tackle in Week One? Dillard, lotta unknown player. Oh my
3: gosh! Wow. Uh, well, I'm not. We're not answer. We'll answer that question next podcast. I mean, we've got a lot to get to. That second part. Uh, I don't know. Mylotta. I think the organization or seven is someone else. Go ahead. I think the organization does care about public perception. I mean, our reporting suggested that might have been more of a Howie Roseman thing, maybe than a, you know, not that Jeffrey Lurie doesn't care about it, but people specifically talked about uh, Howie Roseman caring about it. Now, I don't know. I don't know that it shapes their decision making. Uh, I guess, it, you know, I think it probably, you know, that some of that is probably true, but that wasn't something that I remember coming up during the story that like they were shaped by public
2: perception on a certain decision. Do you, am I missing something? I think they know what's being discussed on, on radio on a day to day basis. Yes. Like, I, I would agree you know, with I that. think, and, and if that influences their decisions or it influences, um, but yeah, I, I don't think they are naive to the public discourse on a day to day basis.
3: I think that's right.
1: All right. Next coming up from Joe Judges Whistle. He says, Thanks for ruining my Monday, gentlemen. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this has been a consistent theme through the Lurie regime. Would it be fair to say that Jeffrey is the biggest issue at this point? He continually allows Howie to get away with these poor decisions. Is there a scenario where Howie is actually let go next year? Based on the most recent trade, my guess is there is not. Also, wouldn't mind some thoughts on the Eagles' dysfunction compared to other organizations throughout the NFL from our national writer. We talked about that. Thanks again. Love the show.
3: Uh, I don't think no, I don't think Jeffrey Lurie is the uh, biggest problem with the organization by any stretch. I mean, to me, like Jeffrey Lurie, it all it almost all comes down to one decision with him, and that's who who is the right hand person who is in charge, making the final decisions, building the culture, uh, you know, dealing, you know, trying to assemble this collaborative effort that he wants to be built. Because I, you know, we talk about his influence, but like. With Andy Reid, Jeffrey Lurie had opinions, but they weren't always going with Jeffrey Lurie's opinions. And uh, I I don't know what the case was, but I don't remember hearing stories that that was a huge issue. You know, he wanted to be involved in the process. He liked the draft. He loves the draft. He loves personnel. He loves football. And so he can be part of that and involved with it. But at that time, like he wasn't going to tell Andy Reid who to pick. And if Andy Reid felt a certain way, uh, Andy Reid was going to go, in that direction. And so in terms of Howie, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's a few different things. Maybe Howie uh, is reflective like Zach mentioned, and maybe they fix some of these issues and that they have a nice stretch here with Nick Sirianni as they rebuild their roster. I mean, history would probably suggest um, against that, but that it's not out of the question. People do change. People do uh, recognize strengths and weaknesses and go from there. The other things would be, I, I think if you had a head coach Jeffrey Lurie felt like this guy is at like an Andy Reid level and I'm going to give him all the power. I mean, look at what happened with Chip Kelly, right? Exactly. Yeah. He, yes. he, he yes. didn't, he didn't, he didn't necessarily think that Chip Kelly was at that level, but he was at a point where he said, well, I'm going to find out and let, and let's see. I mean, that was the impetus between what he did with Harry Roseman. So if he finds a head coach and again, right now it's hard to envision Sirianni like that, but uh, there's a wide range of outcomes, right? I mean, if Sirianni comes in and is really good, but no one thought Doug was going to be great when he was hired, then maybe that person becomes more of the leader in the organization in charge of some of these things we're talking about. And then the last thing I would say, and then interested to hear what you guys think, is that, um, you know, I think part of it would be. If there was someone being groomed in the organization, you know, maybe on like a lower level who Jeffrey was really comfortable with and said, you know, wow, this, this person is really sharp. This person's really bright. This person's gonna have a lead role in the organization going forward. So if it was that, if he had someone like that who he trusted and was comfortable with. And then let's say the next year doesn't go great for Howie Roseman. Then you could see a move being made. However, at this point with our reporting, like no one, uh, I don't remember, I don't recall anybody like that being mentioned. Um, so that one might be a little bit more far-fetched.
2: Yeah. So as, as far as Howie and I, I, this is actually something we discussed like among each other as we were writing this story was uh, you know the the job security question, and I, I I don't feel uncomfortable saying that because we've discussed it on the podcast too, and uh and Bo used the line throughout the season like Jeffrey's loyal until he isn't right, you know, uh, or you, he or something loved, of that you nature. You
3: really got him
2: with that line. Yeah, Bob. that's um,
3: come up a lot. I mean, and and and,
2: and, we and, uh, and no, and, and 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 she'll just mention like Howie uh, Jeffrey has has pushed Howie aside before. And if you were to speak to Howie on January 10th, 2015, and like asked him, honestly, do you think you'll be running the Eagles in 2021? Or he would probably say no, right? Like the plan at that time wasn't for Howie to return to this role. Um, You know, uh, so uh, now it it did happen. The other part of that question was – did the trade buy him time. I, I I do think the strategy that the Eagles are in now, and by the way, it's, it, it's not Howie doing this in a vacuum, right? Like Jeffrey Lurie is totally on, 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 on board. And that's why when I wrote the piece on January 1st, this year, with some thoughts on Howie, I, I, I mentioned the way Howie is assessed is different from Doug Peterson because Howie and Jeffrey are often working in lockstep. They are building, this for the 2022 off season, right? They're taking their medicine now with the cap. They are, they are accumulating picks next season uh, or high quality picks next season. So I, I think everything they're doing, you know, they, they've, they've only given out one year deals. Everything they're doing this off season is really about positioning themselves for next year. So I, I think uh, Howie is, is safe this year, barring, like something unforeseen, and then the last thing I'll mention real quick, and I I I did write this, uh, and we've discussed it on the pod. I actually think Howie is better in these situations than he is like managing as uh, a team. That's I I think he's better in the building phase yeah, than the maintaining agree. phase, and and so I I actually think he he might be doing things in the next like twelve to eighteen months that he's he's uniquely qualified to do. And then maybe if if they do get some success, that's when you really need to look closely. What would he do differently then?
1: So what are we basing that on? Just just the fact that he went up and got Wentz and, and built the 2017 roster that he did that once.
2: No, uh, no. I mean, I I think the, the moves that he made during the 2016 offseason in particular, um, some of the trades, you know, he look at at, at, at the way he purged that roster basically because uh, he was unattached to players. Number one, number two, he you know he I, the the free agents he identified. Uh, it was a different phase then, and even their their 2017 strategy because they didn't build that 2017 team to win uh, that year. And they spoke a lot about optionality, like like when they gave Alshon that one year deal, that was a big talking point. Why would you only give a guy? a one-year deal and they spoke quite a bit about having that type of flexibility and this, how this plan is about more than this year. Uh, so I, I think that how he's approached then. And I, I also think like 2013 how approach then was a little different than, uh, than it, it, it was in some of the subsequent years.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think, um, I think it would be almost like intellectually, um, uh, inconsistent if, if like Jeffrey Lurry let go of Howie Roseman this season like he, he knows that this is the beginning of another rebuild he's chosen that Howie Roseman is the guy he wants to move forward with so it's hard to imagine that things could go wrong enough this season that he would think that that was necessary I mean it would have to be the kind of thing where like you know they pull another Rager over Jefferson at 12, and this guy's yeah. like even worse than Rager was. And and
2: or the workplace is horrible too. Yeah, so that I, that's what like. I was gonna well, say. Yeah.
3: More I, I would say more um culture issues. And I'm probably repeating myself, but this is my sort of big thing with the story, is that like whoever is filling that that role, whether it's Howie Roseman or some, someone else. I mean, that person can really or should be responsible for alleviating so many of these issues that that person needs yeah, to be right. the one telling Jeffrey, hey, hey, Jeffrey, gotcha. We love having you as part of the process. We got we know who you want here. But guess what? Um, not guess what? But uh, our other departments feel this way. And, you know, you brought me on to do a job like like how you know, how job is to make the final decisions. Again, there's there was no evidence in our reporting that like how we made a decision that jeffrey said you know why didn't you go with what i said now obviously part of that's going to be implied like i said that you know your boss feels a certain way you might be steered in that direction but whoever's in that role needs to be the one saying we hear what you're saying jeffrey we're going to go in this direction whoever's in that role needs to say to the head coach hey you know we don't want you to feel questioned or second guessed this is just part of the process. Whoever's in that role needs to tell analytics, "Hey, you guys got to make sure that our, you know, this is a, we're building relationships with these people so that they don't feel questioned when you're asking them why didn't they do a certain thing." I mean, these are the main things we're talking about. Those are the core things that are wrong with the organization right now. And until there's a leadership in place that builds a trust and a culture with these different departments where it's just so different than what it's been over the last few years, then I think like, obviously there are ways where it can get, um, you know, papered over. And we saw that in 2017. It's not like the culture was great there and you still had a super bowl winning team, but if you want sustained success, I feel like those are the issues that need to be corrected. And the only way they can really be corrected is by whoever's in that role that, that Howie Roseman's in right now.
1: From B dub Seven Eleven. um, I'm really interested to learn from this group how the analytics implementation ended up so wrong. It seems like the analytics-based approach implemented post-chip has driven lots of stress of relationships across the organization. Is there a way for them to reorganize their approach to analytics and cultivate a healthier organization climate? And was wow. Doug soft for the way he approached the Tuesday post-mortem sessions? I think the first part of that yeah. question was answered sort of by what you just said, Shiel, that uh, it's, it's really more about the structure of the organization than anything else.
2: The relationship. You going to say yes. something? Yeah. Okay. yeah, just that. Yeah, that it's it's the interpersonal part that is paramount here. That's what must improve.
3: Well, the other thing is also, I, and someone I don't know if it was uh, on Twitter or the comment section was like, "Wait, this is a team in the forefront of analytics, and it's a four person analytics staff." So it's like, you know, this isn't still like this isn't like you know, it's a good reminder that this is the NFL and like that's what counts for uh, you know, sort of a legit NFL step. But this isn't baseball. This this isn't basketball. Like that's mm-hmm. not a lot of people, four people uh in the organization kind of pushing for this. And, and even though your owners aren't bored. So um I, I mean, I think to me, it's all about the integration of it and how how it's implemented. Uh you know who's on board with it? How do you make people on board with it? What areas can you actually find an edge? You know, I think some of the low-hanging fruit uh, they've probably uh, plucked a little bit, but kind of it's like, what what's the next uh, what's the next step with this? Um, as far as Doug, uh, I don't think so because I mean, this wasn't something that like you know came up a lot. This came up through our reporting. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it struck a chord with him to a point where multiple people were talking about it to us uh, years later, specifically those games we mentioned right there. But um, I, I don't know that I, I would say he, he was uh, soft for that. I mean, I think they probably left those meetings and everyone was fine and feeling cordial about it. What's Bogan to say? He was about to say something. Did we lose him? Oh, Bo's muted. Bo, you're muted.
1: I know. It's because when I, I, I click tabs, you can hear yourself. So I muted. Oh, uh, I was uh,
3: hoping Marissa just muted you because she's had okay. enough of your. <laughs> OK.
1: <That laughs> all right. right. Uh, all else? right. Next up. Um, if Howie is this paranoid about leaks, how do so many that don't come from him get out? Asks points <laughs> 50. Also hypothetical question. If other teams were as heavily covered as the Eagles, would as many negative stories slash leaks come out about them? Keep up the great work. P.S. Can I get a hoot out for my son, Lincoln? He turns one next week. So whoo, turns one next week. Lincoln. Great name, Lincoln.
3: Great name, Lincoln. Outstanding. Happy birthday, my friend. Uh, I don't know. but I feel like yeah. we can't really answer the question. Zach, do you have uh like, well, yeah, like I mean, uh, we, I look, don't know. Uh,
2: yeah, these are, <laughs> no, I mean these, well, well, well well to the first part of the question is, is, it's like, these are people, these are humans, right? Like the, it's, it's not. You know, they're, they're not machines. So, uh, why do leaks happen when Howie wants to be the one who controls the information? Well, because people like to talk often, right? Like that's, that's the bottom, you know, that's, that probably goes for every industry too, you know, is, is that these are humans and humans like to talk. Um, and football is something people like to talk about, mm. uh, but that's that's probably as as detailed as I can go into that, or as as much as I can go into that. As far as the market size, look, there's there are a lot of really talented reporters in this market. There are talented reporters elsewhere too, uh, but yeah, the Eagles are covered very intensely, more so than most other teams in the league, and. Uh, that's, that's not to say you, you don't see these stories elsewhere, but I would like push back against the idea that like this, this only happens in Philadelphia. Even if we look at the athletic, you know, we did, uh, an outstanding piece. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not apples for apples, but like similarly on, uh, on Russell Wilson earlier this off season, on, there was an Earl Thomas piece during the season. There was a Deshaun Watson piece, uh, during the season, like, you know, uh, we had a piece on the Colorado Rockies front office. We had a piece on the Arizona coy- uh, the, on the Arizona Coyotes front office, and and and, and, and it's not Phoenix Coyotes. No, I think they changed it to they the Arizona your name? Coyotes. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, they they moved to Glendale and they became the oh, Arizona wow. Coyotes. I believe. Good for you. Uh, cor- uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the case. Wow, we have a new leader, well, a new leader a, for most uh, pointless <laughs> uh,
3: sidetrack conversation in <laughs> the episode. And,
2: <laughs> and look, and I, I, I don't, you know, and all these issues are, you know, all these issues are, are, are different. What, what we wrote about was different than what's happening in, in, with the Rockies, what was different than, than the Coyotes. But my point is, is that I, I don't think this is because they're in Philadelphia, but yeah, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, this is a team, this is a franchise that is, is, is under the microscope is covered intensely And the flip side of that is when they have a lot of success, it's incredibly rewarding for them. Uh, There are a a lot of people who who benefit from that. Um, And there are people in the building who have who have have benefited from it quite a bit as well.
3: I mean, they they won four games and and traded their franchise quarterback and fired a Super Bowl winning head coach who has a statue outside the building. Like, I, I don't care what city you're in, who, you know, whoever is reporting on that team should be writing a story about why that, why mm. that happened or trying to find out why that happened. I thought, uh, Stephanie Stradley, for those who follow her on, uh, mm. on Twitter, who writes about the, the Texans and not, not just the Texans, but you know, a lot, a lot of, uh, other things, but she read the story and I thought she had a good take about it. She said, re any team team leaks. You don't need to find the leakers. You need to model the behavior you want and fix the buffoonery that causes leaks. When things are extra bad, folks have no safe way to address them in-house and it spills through every possible channel. So if that's yeah. like much better said than I could mm-hmm. ever, uh, explain that, the, it, yeah,
1: so. that could have been the whole, that whole section. Yeah. We could have yeah.
3: skipped yeah. every, yeah. Maybe we'll just cut out the last four minutes and do that. Um, I remember that. I was, I was part of it too.
1: I was, remember the other thing I was going to say, um, one of the other small things that uh, I feel like we may be not mischaracterized, but, but uh, has been taken in a way that not necessarily the way it was intended, the Warren Sharp influence. Um, it's sort of in that paragraph with, with Lurie's um, uh, investment in the analytics department. You know, my understanding is that the Warren Sharp uh, game plan reports are not it's, – it's not like those are given to Doug and that's what he's taken to the field on Sunday, and it's like a replacement for the analytics Staff, it's sort of a, a supplement for something for them to uh, to comb through if they need it.
3: I mean, we wrote one sentence about that, so yeah. I'm not taking any responsibility okay. on that one. <laughs> you know, um, people can take it how they want. We, yeah, I thought we fair. put that in the proper context. It was literally yeah. one sentence.
1: There's a very uh long and nice comment from Philly knows wins, although it's a sort of a question that we've already been asked before about uh Lurie holding Howie accountable. So the last one is from wp madden he says i'm thinking back a few years with the sixers during the post burner gate elton brand brett brown shared power era which brought us al horford and Jay rich in free agency the talk then was collaboration and it clearly didn't work do you think part of the eagles problem is that the coaching scouting and analytics departments have too much of an ego and a quest for power and not enough trust that howie roseman will get it right the infighting seems to show there isn't a clear delineation of power and in the end Unless you're Roseman, all you're doing is providing information and a viewpoint. He's the only one who truly makes decisions. Whether he is good or bad, does not matter? Positive organizations have a clear ecosystem of roles and one person who is driving the bus. Roseman has to step into that role more and be more accountable so we can really see how good or bad he is.
2: So I, I have a strong take on this. Okay? Let's hear it. Um, because you hear collaboration often, but it's pro- uh, um, from these teams but they want to build as collaboration at the top. And what that does is exactly what that commenter said is it creates a a situation where everyone's responsible. So no one's to blame. Right. Uh, I think what teams need to work on is more collaboration from the bottom up, right? The collaboration needs to be with the departments working to make the decisions and they need to work together to funnel the, the, to give the information to the decision maker. And then you have one decision maker who makes an organizational decision and, People might not like uh, how that they might disagree with the decision. They might not like how the decision is 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 made. But there's transparency in how the decision is made. I think the the lack of collaboration that is problematic to the Eagles is at the it's it's at like the the foundational level. It is these different departments need to work well together to to uh, so so that's what I I I would point to. When they say we make collaborative decisions, they they try to make it seem like everyone on the on top is is on is on board. No, you have one person who has his finger on the on the, on the button, or finger or her finger on on the button. in, in some cases, um, but uh, but uh, that you do need to have that clear decision maker at the top. The collaboration needs to be at the bottom.
3: Yeah. I, I, that's a great point, Zach. I mean, I don't know if they do this or not, but like, like why the, the, like quality control coach and like a, uh, like a lower level analytics staffer and like an area scout, like they, they should probably be having a conversation, you know, yes, once yes. in a while and getting to know each other and, uh, you know, and figuring out what the, what the other people do. And then that, you know, goes up as you reach the, you know, as there's the hierarchy and different levels. But I think that's right because, you know, then you, uh, you realize what other people's roles are. You, you understand what they're trying to accomplish. You understand what their directions are from the top of the organization, why they're doing what they're doing. And there's not like this animosity of us versus them. And again, I do think it was a lot of, uh, in this organization, a lot of it is just so competitive of who can shout the loudest, who can, you know, what do you have to do to get your voice heard? Um, you know, how much, Influence can you have, and like that's not how it should work. I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of that, I understand, because not everyone's going to agree. But when it you know, a lot of this is levels of stuff or um, you, you know, degrees of stuff, like a little bit of that, sure, that's fine. But when it reaches the levels that we've written about, it obviously has become problematic.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. All right, anything else that you guys want to get off your chest about this? Go ahead. No,
2: so I i I received questions um oh, uh to what? me that, that <laughs> it's not about flanked, 90
3: minutes in eh? okay uh, bring them out
2: about <laughs> the writing process. How you know, people see three bylines on a story and they they wonder how how that's done. Um so I know we don't want to spend too much time on how the sausage is is, is made, but uh sense well, if if, 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 you know, stupid, yeah, that's I that's I, I mean uh, if you don't care
3: about this, sign off. We won't do anything else. Yeah. But I, I do think, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think some people at least care about it. So go ahead.
2: Yeah. So I will here. I, I, I can pull up a message that was sent to me about this from listener Scott. O, who says, hey, uh, hey. he says, I'm curious about the logistics of a three person article uh, with articles where each of you have your own parts like like the um uh yeah so 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 basically inside baseball on how on how
1: this piece is written so we uh we eat in our initial outlet so basically what happened is uh first of all like you know throughout the reporting process we have some shared uh transcript docs so we're all you know everybody's caught up on everything that's happening we're talking throughout the whole process but about um like two weeks ago we sort of started the outlining process what you know what's the story that we want to tell uh you know how are we going to break this up sections wise and we had six sections and so we each took two sections uh to write and uh, we did that then we did a revision of that and it was pretty disjointed i was, was concerned i was concerned. terrible it was, yeah i it thought was, it was, it was not very good and yeah. we gave that to our editor uh who is the the like Editor of the uh, A ones, these stories that are going to be like sort of enterprise on the site, Stephen Cohen, who just turned around, like took the took the like Frankenstein parts of this story, put them where they belonged, gave it its you know like so that there was a a a voice to it instead of just you know jumbled mess. Yep, and that was like that was just what a beautiful thing that was to see. Pivotal for the process. It it, it completely changed the entire process, and then from there, you know, we went through. Um, and made some revisions ourselves, comments in the doc, and then on uh, on Sunday actually we went through all four of us like sentence by sentence. How can we change this? Is this worth keeping in? Is this fair? Um, you know, is this telling the exact thing that we want? And so it was. I was actually like, it's it, this is. I hate to say this, but it was actually it was kind of fun. It was it was a cool process. Well, well, look at this guy.
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i think i i i will admit i i, I had was, a good time with you
1: guys well i
3: i will get to that i'm uncomfortable I, you guys can finish no I, I i i will Zach be a that. very
1: nice heartfelt text the other day and she was like <laughs> I, uh I, yeah. I, I you know his, his standard line the kapatias aren't good with emotions."
3: listen <laughs> that's not my fault it's in my yeah. blood we don't uh we don't believe we don't express our emotions very well, well. well
2: i'll get to that part a in a moment but go ahead As far as the writing process, yeah, it's, it's a good question because no, I, I was concerned to be honest with you when we submitted the draft and, uh, and I, I mean, from a like writing perspective, um, we all have, have obviously different voices and different styles, but, but that's easy to, or I shouldn't say easy, but, but that's like manageable, during the editing process, I, I thought also what, what kind of stood out is, is like, we all kind of had, had different ideas of like what the big themes in the story were. Right. Or I don't want to say different ideas, but like we played up certain things over other things maybe. and uh, and I, I was, it, it, it did, it seemed, it seemed, you know, it seemed disjointed. Right. And, and so uh, the editing was, was, was pivotal here. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I think that was key. And then the reporting process was, was, and this is what I expressed over the text. And I say this in earnest, I I say this genuinely, like the key here is you need to trust the people you work with implicitly because all three of our names are on the story, but not all three of us are talking to every single person, right? We're all talking to different people. Um, so the trust is so important that, that like the people you're working with uh, are, are, uh, are asking the questions or finding out the information or having that, that filter that is required. And, uh, and we had a lot of like really productive, healthy discussions during it. So it was truly a pleasure to work with you guys on this story.
3: It was a great team effort. Yeah. I mean, again, this is not, yeah. Please rip us for patting ourselves. No, I'm not patting ourselves. I know, but I somebody scared. asked so we're talking about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, really, we don't, we don't all talk to the same people. And so whether it was something one person got, and then someone else said, no, that's not how it happened or uh, built on it or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I do think it really helped to have uh, three, you know, you, you couldn't have done it without uh, three people so just I, I learned so much about the organization you know you feel like you uh, have covered them and you know stuff and you feel like you have a, a good handle on it and then you do something like this uh, and, and you find out some some different things or some thoughts that you had uh, become clearer and so yeah the the reporting part far exceeded my expectations you know I think we each probably had some phone calls where we texted each other right away and we're like oh my you know well, you gotta hear what I just you know what this person um, just told me type deal um, and so the reporting far exceeded uh, my expectations the writing part was very challenging just because we each took our own sections <laughs> wrote them tried to come up with something and it, I mean it was a terrible story uh, it would have been really disappointing to put that out there into the world yeah. if uh, if Stephen wasn't able to put it all together and uh, and fix it all so uh, well it, apparently- he did after, like
1: job. you know, we were trying to split it up so that people had things to write about, even if that wasn't necessarily the best way to tell the story. It's like, it's it was it, it hard. Thank great God people. for Steven. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, okay, well, since we are being very, very self serious, um, I will, uh, I will bring in this email that we got from uh, Defop Mike Weber, who was asked by his friends uh, if he was going to cast a spotlight. Type movie. Oh God! <laughs> for the three of us, who uh, who would we be? So he says. If he says uh, John Turturro for me, uh, I say, he I says, said, if I was to make a movie like Spotlight <laughs> about the intrepid journalists who reveal the abyss of dysfunction that is the Philadelphia Eagles, here's how I would cast it. And he says, note, I'm approaching this as realistically as possible, meaning as much as I'd like to cast Philip Seymour Hoffman as Bo Wolf, sadly that's no longer possible. Nor can I cast. <laughs> Young Al Pacino as Zach Berman. Oh, says,
3: I could see that.
1: Turns yeah. 81 this month. <laughs> Lastly, these casting choices were made with an emphasis on resemblance and acting ability, but with an eye on assembling a cast that would be exciting enough to secure us financing and dis- distribution. So, okay, all right, so we know very the, seriously. The, whoever I like knows this. what he's doing says, so "Here we go." <laughs> Perhaps the best American actor of his generation. Paul Dano is Beowulf. Wolf.
3: <laughs>
1: oh, all I, right.
2: I can see that actually. Yeah, yeah that's, I, that's good. good. The
1: hair is, yeah.
3: Little, Cosmo. yeah. <laughs> yes. I would be
1: honored. I would be honored to have Paul Dano. Uh, <laughs> yes. like Does Mercer
2: know these are coming? By the way, or like, I assume she, her is like, putting the the pictures, pictures photos up
1: on the screen. Bo's
2: doing yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, I, I didn't know if like she pulled that up right away or if she has. Oh, no, I imagine
3: Bo that. gave her a heads, okay. Up. Okay. I gave her I heads up.
2: Okay,
1: okay, okay. Only the third actor of Indian descent to receive mm-hmm. an Oscar nomination. Okay. Dev Patel. Oh,
3: absolutely. all right. I'll take that. Now we, yeah. Obviously, Dev, you gotta, you know, the hair's great, but you gotta get rid of it for, uh, for this role, my man. But yeah, absolutely, I'll take
1: that. I think Dev's doing well with that. Okay. And finally, he says, "Oh, he says, I know Dev is uh, is a bit younger and more here suit than Shield, but he's yeah. a fantastic Come on, actor." One, Mike,
3: take it easy there. Okay.
1: I'm confident yeah. he'll embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Berman with a meaningful young actor was my toughest challenge, he says. Oh. And then it hit me. I worked with him on The Disaster Artist. He's a great guy and a true sports fan. He says he's also vertically challenged. <laughs> Dave Franco is Zach Berman. Okay.
2: Okay. All right. All right. All
1: right. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Not bad. I appreciate now, that. Weber, of course, goes above and beyond. <laughs> Perhaps my biggest reach in terms of availability as she's a two-time Oscar nominee and the most talented young actress in the world. Mm. Sir Ronan is Marissa Morris.
2: All right. Wow, well done. Okay. <laughs>
1: <Great>. <laughs> I,
3: we need to a Marissa comment on this.
1: Now don't forget. I love it. Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I mean, that's, a that's an Oscar nominated role. Another one for sure. Now he's, he's kept going with Jeremy Strong as Howie Roseman. You're going to like that, Shield. Wow,
3: that is good. I never noticed it. Yeah, that's yep. outstanding. Kendall.
1: Two-time Oscar nominee, John Malkovich as Dave Spadero. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
2: yeah. he went above and beyond. And awful. Academy
1: Award winner, Richard Dreyfuss. As Mr. Jeffrey Lurie,
2: I see that outstanding,
3: outstanding <laughs> that is job. Great.
2: Is, is is there a Doug one?
1: Uh, there is no Doug. He oh, says, see? "No, the only thing this cinematic masterpiece needs is a good title." Hmm. So we'll leave that open to the listeners. Maybe that can be the uh, the 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 send off. Let us can. know with uh, with hashtag Marissa's movie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right, you're you're always well, your spot on with suggestions those suggestions.
1: Are for the uh, the Mike Weber uh, <laughs> Great great speakers. job, Mike. That yeah. that
3: was awesome. That was fantastic. We really should have led with that, honestly.
1: <laughs> well, good reason we'll to tell, tell people we'll, to, we'll, to, we'll to tell put tell the promo YouTube just for the end.
2: Yeah, I'll tell them promo. Fast forward to the one hour forty one minute mark. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. All right. Well, uh, I guess that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. We'll put this bad boy to bed. And next week we get into draft season. I mean, it's only two weeks away. So uh, we will dive head first into everything that's going on. We'll probably have a couple episodes next week. We might even get to squeeze in the fourth, the second annual. But what is it? The second, fourth Wait. annual Osprey Awards. So, we have the draft. This is this is a big deal. This is this is a big deal, man. You got this I am monkey off our full, back. I, whatever is coming next, it doesn't uh, matter.
2: I am in full draft mode. Uh, I am I am ready, man. So
3: it's not like we have, you know, five months that. after that to fill yeah. space You're where not. we could
2: potentially exactly. do the <laughs> osprey.
1: Fine, fine, fine.
2: We we cover the team with the most <laughs> picks in this draft. Like we but we should say, by the way, uh, yeah,
1: both are deserves- giving awards to Jumon Brown, like when the team is totally different. Listen, so, uh, that ship wait. has sailed, my friend. Okay. So,
2: real quick here, because uh, I this is the, the end of this happiness, okay? Uh, Bo did this story, <laughs> yeah. uh, both did this story while on paternity leave, uh, yeah. which which deserves a lot of credit. Um, and and Shield did this story while like dominating our free, like doing our free agency, like million this million, I don't know right about touring that. free agency and was grading and every
1: set pieces.
2: Yeah. But, but like you two in particular. So I, I, I think that's, that's important to point out because uh there were times when like shield was like breaking down uh free agent number 87 and then also like juggling a very important phone call. So uh yeah, well done both you guys
3: you as well i i would say bo wins the osprey for worst paternity leave yes, of all time i mean doubt. there's no question about it <laughs> but hopefully there was a reward for him i i, I think yeah.
2: you had a text the other day that about like rachel's feelings about this story yeah
1: so yeah well yeah I was, I was i was like late at night sunday night sending in like a couple uh like little small pedantic edits to the story and and she'll ask if uh if that was Rachel reading it, because sometimes I will let you know if it's a big story, I'll let Rachel. early days of the athletic. She was an editor, basically. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's the best editor I've got. But uh but I said no. She's the last thing she wants in the world is to ever do or hear about this story ever again. So. Uh, all right, that'll do it for Marissa, Sersha, <laughs> Zach, Dave, Shield Dev. And me, Paul. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. And as always, we love you.